Good morning. morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Good. How was your your Thanksgiving? Was it good? I'm going to move this back just a little bit so I can walk around. All right. Well, welcome to Wells Branch Community Church. I am one of the pastors here on staff, not the lead pastor, but I'm Joseph Aiken, and I'm excited uh, to continue in Revelation. Right, right. And so for those that don't know, a year ago, almost, uh, Pastor, uh, God had put on Pastor's heart to walk through the book of Revelation. And we've done in a year. And so we've done so where we've we jumped in for about four chapters and jumped out, did something else, jumped back in. And so over the course of the year, we've been preaching and we are in the last leg, that final lap of Revelation. And this is to me, this is great. But I've been blessed reading out loud the word of God through Revelation. And so hopefully that you have, too been blessed through this. And so if you want to see all these sermons have been recorded, you can go look at them. But the fun thing, too, is also as a church, right after Thanksgiving, we always start uh, the sermon series Advent. Anyone knows what that means? The coming, right? And so this time it's the second coming, right? You see how we did that? Yeah. No? Okay, that's fine. It was on purpose, kind of on purpose. It just kind of felt like that. So we're excited to be jumping into Revelation but it's the advent of the king. It's the second coming. So understanding that Jesus died right on the cross, he rose and he's coming back again. We understand that and we're walking through that. And so if any point while we're going through this, you have questions, there'll be a number on the screen. You can text that number. We'll uh, hit it up in Pastor Plex podcast, myself and Chris and Katie Sass. And we enjoy the questions. So if you're not so captivated by the words and you're like what is he talking about feel free because i'm sure i don't know everything when it comes to revelation by any means i want your questions it gives me something else to study and work through so i would love for you to send questions in all right yeah. all right so y'all gonna have to talk to me a little bit uh because if you don't know i like the feedback and i love for you to talk back to me but last weekend uh my son my nephew as well they they won the championship flag football game yeah, you can celebrate them. They did great. You know, as a father, I am very proud that my son, the first time he ever played football, and he scored the first touchdown for the team on the first game of the season, and that uh, he scored touchdowns and got interceptions. I'm proud of that, right, as a father. Uh, but I found myself, when the season started, sitting on the sidelines, really in the parent section, while practice was going on, watching my son from afar learn this game of football, because I've never really pushed him in it uh, until now. And I'm watching him do some of the little things, and as he made mistakes sometimes, I wanted to, like, be the one on the field to say, hey, J4, like, come on. But I'm like, I'm a parent. I'm not a coach. Let me sit down. Let me just observe. And I noticed the more and more practice went on, I found myself getting to a place where I was no longer sitting down in my chair. I was standing up trying to get eye contact with my son so that he can see me and I can see him. And I can tell him, stop doing that or do something else. Stop trying to do this. To the point to eventually, I was right there on the sideline, and when they was getting some water, I called them over here. Come here, come here, come here. Let me tell you what you need to do. Right? And then I watched the game from the stands, uh, the very first game, and I was like, man, I wish I could be down there to help my son out because the coaches aren't coaching right. Right? I, need, I, I mean, I've never coached before, but I know more than they know. This, this <laughs> seven-year-old, what they know? I could be teaching my son. And, and it just so happened the first week they also asked me to – do photography for the team. I was like, yeah, I'll do photography for the team. If that means I can be closer to my son and on the field. The only reason I did it was so that I could be on the sideline with my son so I can tell him what he's doing wrong, what he's doing right. <laughs> right? I needed to be in the mix. If I was in the mix, I can help my son be a better football player. I can help control what was going on in his mind. I can help him be the best version of himself because daddy knows best. Right? And we do that with our lives. When it comes to our relationship with God, right, God wants something for us, but we know what's best for us. God has called us to something, but we, can, we find ourselves more and more and more wanting to be on the sideline of the stories of our lives and give God, the God of the universe, a hand at being God, as if God needs our help. Like, God, you don't know what you're doing. Let me help you out. And what I found while jumping through and studying this book of Revelation is that they're in the same boat, right? They, they are allowing themselves or they're pushing themselves to dive into this thing because they want to be on the sideline. They want to control what's going on in their life. And God says, no, 
I've called you to separate. And so one of the things that I find is that we don't separate from this world because God isn't doing anything. God isn't doing anything. It's easy uh, to try to take control when you think that God isn't watching. When you pray for a new job or you pray for something about your spouse, for God to mend a broken relationship, when you pray for these things and you're like, God, I don't see you moving, so I'm going to go to handling this on my own. I'm going to go to fixing this problem on my own. I can't separate from the world, God, because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. I don't see you doing anything at all, God. In front of the scenes, behind the scenes, what are you doing? And what this leads to is the fact that we like what the world offers us. We can't separate from it because we like it. We love it. We want some more of it. Right? We want to hold on to that thing that is called the world. We want to hold on to the luxuries of life and the money and the power and the respect that comes with that. We want to hold on to getting the promotions and being the hardest worker. I'm not, and I'm not saying anything is wrong with those things, but what happens is when those things begin to separate you or pull you away from God, God is calling you to separate from that, which you're not just in it, you're of it. You're, just, you, you're doing more than being in the presence. You're partaking of whatever that thing is for you. And lastly, that, that reason why we don't separate ourselves from the world is we don't like what God is doing. So at first to start off, we don't see God doing anything, but then when God does something, we don't agree with it. Again, the God of the universe needs my help. Tell him what he needs to do. The God that created time itself that operates outside of time. God, let me help you with me and my life. I need this job, God, to be successful. God, I need this person by my side. God, I need you to fix this. I need you. There's some things broken inside of me that I need you to work through and work on. And we find ourselves trying to take control, slowly and slowly moving away from God, moving away from that passenger seat, moving away from the parent section, so to speak, to be right there on the sideline, to be doing or trying to do what God, God's work for our lives. And so that's where we're going on this morning. Uh, again, we're in Revelation. And so if you haven't, this is this, I want to do a quick recap before we pray and dive into it. Uh, but, but thinking about this, we're on the cusp, we're on the end of the seven-year tribulation. Jesus is coming back. He's about to. Right? And so Babylon, we saw in chapter 17, has fallen. The spiritual side of Babylon. And so when you hear uh, the scriptures talk about Babylon or you see the word her, it's not talking about a physical location. Why, yes, there's a geographical presence of where Babylon is. It's bigger than that. In chapter 18, it's talking about this economical uh, commodities. It's talking about resources. It's talking about money. It's talking about power. That's what it's talking about here. And so when you read or you see uh, the, the word or the name Babylon, I want you to think about those things. And another thing I want you to think about, because what happens is when, one of the questions we've gotten on the podcast is, well, if this is in the future, if this, if this is a pro, what is it, proleptic speech, if this is a foreshadowing of things to come, if that's what it is, then why do we need to really learn about it? Since I believe in God, I'm going to be gone anyway. I'll tell you why. There's two parts when you're reading this. There's the principle and the practical. The practical is what is it talking about? Exactly, yes, this is in the future. This is what's going to happen to the unbelievers and the believers. But then the principle side is what is God trying to tell me in this in the sense of, what is the Babylon or the idol in my life that I'm allowing myself to hold on to and not separate, from, not separate from? What is it in the world that I'm allowing myself to gravitate to more than I'm allowing myself to gravitate to in my prayer life and the word of God? And so as we pray right now, I want you to think about and ask God to reveal the Babylons or the Babylon, the person, the place or the thing. What is it in your life that you've allowed to basically establish rule, control over some aspects of your life. Father God, we thank you for another opportunity to come together. God, we thank you just to be able to sit and hear you speak to us. God, I pray that you hide me behind the cross. Allow your word uh, in Revelation to speak first to me, God, so that it can speak to your people and be real and be reverent. God, we thank you. God, we love you and we praise you for 
all that you are and who you are in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we'll be in the book of Revelation chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles. should be in a chair underneath uh, you in front on page 1038, right at the end, like three pages from the end. Uh, one of the things, if you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. This chapter 18 is broken down into four sections. The first is condemnation. Everybody say condemnation. condemnation. God, God is sending an angel to bring a word of condemnation. The second voice or thing that you'll see is God calling us to, out for separation. Everybody say separation. separation. So there'll be a separation from the things of the world. Babylon, separate, come out of it. The third thing is lamentation. Everyone say lamentation. Lamentation, the lamenting or mourning for the lost or something lost is what we'll see. And then lastly, celebration. Celebration. Uh, some of you got to say celebration. celebration. I just, as a teacher, I used to be a teacher. Repeating things makes sure you remember it, but it also lets you know you're listening. All right, so you got to talk back. So celebration, God has called us to rejoice over what he has done. So if you look at verse 1, look at verse 1. It says, after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. I love Mr. John in this sense of him being just so observant of what God is revealing to him. And as a people of God, I think it's important for us to just be able to sit back, not say anything, not do anything, but just see what God is doing, what he's trying to reveal and show us. He said, having great authority and the earth was made bright with his glory. For those of you who uh, have may have read the Bible just a little bit. You may have come across this when anytime you see this isn't Jesus we're talking about. This isn't Jesus. This is just an angel. But for this angel to come down, not only with great authority, but for his glory to shine bright in order for that to happen. This angel had to be spending time with God. You see, in the book of Exodus, when Moses went on the mountain for 40 days, 40 nights fasted, he was in the presence of God when he came down. It tells us that his face was bright, that his, lace, his face shone like a light. Why? Because he was in the presence of God. As believers, while we may not get the physical like brightness of physically being shown, there should be some reflection of who God is in our life because of the time we're spending with him. There should be something about you reflecting what God is pouring in you because of the time you're spending with God. You should respond out of godliness because of your time spent with God and because of who God is. And so when you're driving in a car and somebody cuts you off, what is your response? Is it one where you were spending time with God or where you wasn't spending time with God? When somebody cusses you out or when your boss or something gets on your nerves or when your kids getting on your nerves, when your wife is getting on your nerves, she came to the service, so I got to mumble it. How are you responding? You see, your time with God should be a reflection of who God is in all that you do. In all that you do. So I love that. I just love that. And then it says he called out with a mighty voice. So he went from a, a position of seeing what God, observing what God is doing, to hearing what God is saying. He says, fallen, fallen. He repeats it because it's important. Is, the Bab is Babylon the great? Everyone say Babylon. Babylon. Has anyone ever heard of the Tower of Babel? Yeah, you heard of the Tower of Babel. This is that place. So it's interesting to me that the last few chapters of Revelation, we're talking about this fallen Babylon, this great city. The Bible also begins in Genesis chapter 11 about this city of Babel or Babylon. Same place. And what happened there in this city of Babylon where they said, hey, let us make a city a great tower that reaches to heaven for ourselves that became cocky. They wanted to live life outside of God. They no longer wanted God to be number one. They said, we can do this on our own. I no longer need to be on the sideline in a sense. I can do this, God. I can do it. I really can. That was the tower about to the point that God had to come down and see what they was doing to the Babel, we talk about the language, and give them a whole bunch of languages so they couldn't communicate because he saw the messiness of things about to happen. He said, let me break this up right now. They don't get it. It ain't about them. It's about God. It's about him. 
It says, she has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt or a prison for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. So this great city, which is now a detestable place, is a place of desolation. That's what the birds, the unclean birds represent. Where do you see, see vultures and birds like that? In places of desolation, of death, of destruction. This is a symbol. What was once a destination location. What, what was once the place where dreams were made. What was once just that place I needed to go where I can get everything I wanted. Is now this place of destruction, destruction and desolation. You see, Babylon... You know, we, just like now, we believe that money and power make this world go round. Babylon was that place. And now this place, the very thing, the essence of what made things go round and round, God is saying, it has fallen. It is no longer, it's no longer great. It's a desolate place. This is not where you want to go. For all, the nation, for all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Immorality with her and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Y'all, this is important for us to understand. Remember, Babylon isn't just a physical place. Think Wall Street, New York. Yes, I understand. But when you think about the economic system, it's bigger than just a place. Because all those who are affected by the stock market are all around the world. The power, the money. Now think that. Now think of the type of relationship we're having with that, with the stuff of this world. Sexual immorality, sex itself, is designed to become one with someone, not something. And so we're becoming one with something. The world, inanimate objects, money, cars, jobs. We're becoming one and allowing there to be space between us and God because we're pulling closer and closer to that thing, the Babylons of our life. And God has said, no, it's fallen. It will no longer be. You will no longer be able to have a relationship like that with her. Immorality with her and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. One of the things we have to understand as believers, we have to get, is that God isn't the only one that blesses in the sense of riches. Here they are feeding on the luxurious life of Babylon. Growing in riches and greed, becoming materialistic in their way of life, beginning to think that the stuff is what has provided provision for their lives, beginning to think that it's the money is why their life is going good, beginning to think that it's the car that I drive, beginning to think that it's uh, the relationships that I have. No, no, no. God is calling us to understand that Babylon has never been so great that it was greater than God. And that this place was doomed, literally, from the beginning. First point is this, and it's simple. Babylon will fall. And I told you at the beginning that, yes, this is uh, a foreshadowing of what's to come. And so when you think about the practical sense, there will be a time on earth, and we believe as Christians, that the saved are not here. This isn't us that is talking about. Yes, I understand that this is a future event when the rapture has happened and God has called the believers up. This is a time for those who haven't yet done so to make a change. But what does this mean for me right now? The principle of this is that there's some idols, there's some Babylons in our lives that we have to remove. There's some things in our lives that we have to relinquish control of so that God can be live in who we are, live in everything that we are. If I was to come to any one of your houses, hopefully, if I was to come to any one of your houses, I wouldn't see pictures of me up on the wall. <laughs> right? Hopefully, I don't walk into, Julie, I don't walk into your house and see a picture of just me. I mean, you may have one picture. I don't know that you snuck, but hopefully you don't got pictures of me just smiling all on your wall. Why? Because whoever resides in your house, that's the pictures you have on your wall. That's a reflection of who you are, not who I am, where you reside. In like manner, when it comes to our relationship with God, if Babylon is living rent-free in your head, then that's what controls you. 
God is saying, I want all of you. He said, I don't want to be in one room of your life. I want to be in every room, every aspect. You can't turn me off. You cannot not give me access to everything that is you because I can't change. I can't move. I can't maneuver if you're allowing the Babylon to stay uh, upright. I can't change it. I can't move it. And so what happens is this, because I truly believe God is a God that he doesn't give expectations without explanation. God's not going to tell you to do something without explaining what he wants you to do. He's not. And so what does he say? He says, then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out. Everyone say, come out. out. What this deals with, if you're in something to this where you got to be brought out, because remember, they've become one with it, with their sexual immorality. He's saying, come out of this thing. Your very identity, the identity of who you are is tied to the stuff. It's tied to Babylon. It's tied to, to the job. It's tied to uh, the money. It's tied to whatever it is, the TV show that you had to binge on. Whatever it is, it's tied to that. And God is saying, come out of that. I need you. I want you to come out of that. Well, why, God? Why do you want me to come out? It says, because you're my people. Because lest you partake, lest you take part in her sins. The, uh, this past week, Thanksgiving week, been home with the kids and my wife all week. It's been great, right? And usually I put my daughter to sleep. She loves for daddy to put her to sleep because I stay in the room with her and I lay on the floor till she falls asleep. Sometimes I fall asleep too. That's just what we do. That's our thing, right? And we were praying. Every night we try to, I try to pray with her. And we was praying. I said, okay, Kali, you go first. She said, okay. And she began to pray. She said, Lord, thank you for your grace. I said, ooh, she's about to pray a good prayer. I said, I don't know who she's been listening to praying. I said, it's about to be a good prayer. And then she said, Lord, thank you for North America and South America <laughs> and Africa and Asia. And don't forget Antarctica. And don't. I was like, what in the world? <laughs> I said, I ain't never did that. I said, I guess we can pray for them too. I guess. But what happened was she's learning that the, the continents in her school, the school she goes to, she's three years old, and she's learning these continents. And the very thing that she's spending time with is coming out of her. Don't miss this. This is important for you to understand. Your habits reflect what you're spending time with. Your habits should reflect what you love. But not always do our habits reflect what we love in a, in a sense of us spending time with it. Our habits reflect what we're doing and what we're spending time with. And so if the fact that she's in school seven hours a day and she's getting this lesson, it came out in a prayer, oddly. Because it was what was in her. The question I have for you, one of the questions I have for you, what's in you that's coming out that you don't love, but you spend time with it? That you are a part of? That you're allowing yourself to jump in and hold on to? And God is calling you to come out of her. Remember, this isn't a place, it isn't a person. Is that thing that we hold on to that uh, separates us from God and connects us to the world. That's her. That thing that distracts you from the mission and what God is calling you. It says, my people, let you take part of her sins, let you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven. If you were to read Genesis chapter 11 when it talks about the Tower of Babel, They literally wanted to build a tower to heaven. Now the measurements of Babylon's sins are up to heaven. How much sin would that have to be to connect connect the two? What are we allowing to control and take residence in our lives? And God has remembered, he remembers everything, her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. So God is calling us out of this relationship with Babylon, relationship with the world. With the, he's breaking it down because he's about to destroy it. God is calling the people out of doing this because what's going to happen is if you don't come out, you go down with. If you're holding on to something God is about to remove, you're going down with it. 
Because God has to make space for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, our Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. He has to make room. And so in order to make room for Jesus, some things got to be moved, removed from the presence of this earth. And if we hold on to them, we're going down with the ship. We will die with that thing. And God is telling us to separate ourselves from that, to not hold on because he remembers He's counting. And so mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed as she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen. So even experiencing God, she still sits high on this self-throne that she's made. She still puts herself in front of God. You see, they don't care. The world doesn't care where it goes because it's all about self-gratification. It's all about preaching to or or building one's own character and being me. I'm going to do me. I'm going to take control. I'm going to provide my destiny and I'm going to do it how I want to do it. Can't nobody tell me different. I'm my God. Because if God was present, he would have changed this already, so I need to get my hand on it. If God was present, he would do more. If God was God, then why did he allow me to hurt like this? Why did he allow my parents to get divorced? Why did he allow my parents to be beaten? Why did he allow me to get with somebody that didn't love me like I should be loved? And we begin to allow ourselves to the enemy to talk to our minds about all these different things that are happening in this world, the distractions of this world. And I'm not taking away or making Less of any of those things. But God is saying, let go of the things that are controlling you, that you're allowing to to live in your minds and in your hearts to the point to where it's steering you in life. You're pursuing them more than you're pursuing God. They control the reins of who you are. She said, I'm no widow and mourning I shall never see. Christians are called to separate from Babylon. We have to separate. We have to separate and we have to remember that that Babylon is a symbol. It's this thing where we 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 we, it's a representation of us thinking that the commodities of this world, the resources of, of this world are what provides for us. Our provisions don't come from Babylon. They don't come from working a nine to five. They don't come from. Uh, the house we live in. They don't come from the relationships that we're in. The provision that God provides comes from God. Like I said, the practical sense is yes, this is in the the future, near, far, however you choose to look at it. This is coming. Babylon will fall and God will give an opportunity for the unsaved to reach, to to have a, a relationship with him. And we'll see real quick that even after seeing God knock down all these different things, burning up the, the, the city, this, this thing that is called uh, the economy, after all that is gone, even after that, people will still turn towards that thing that is burning and focus more on that than God. Look at verse 8. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. This could be a literal single day. We know that God has the ability to break it down, or it could be over time. But we know that when you see this, it's expedient, ex- expeditiously happening. Death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord, God who has judged her. Revenge is God's. And too often we want to be in the mix. We want to control. We want to do what we want to do. We want to uh, take up for ourselves. And God is saying, I need you to trust me, that I see you right where you at. I see you hurting. I see you going through. I see that you need me and I'm here. Now, the provision I'm providing for you may not look how you want it to look, but you have to trust me. And the only way that faith, that trust in God happens is if you walk in alignment with him. The only way you're walking in alignment with him is if your habits reflect your love for him. And the only way the habits reflect is if you're spending time with him in your word. If you're praying more, because I can't grow in my relationship with him and have faith in him in his presence if I'm not spending time with him. Like I said, he wants every room. He doesn't want some rooms. And too often we, when it comes to Jesus Christ being Lord and Savior of our life, what that really means is that he gets to hang out in the living room. 
he doesn't get to walk around the house. And I know for some of us, you're like, huh, what you mean? When people come over my house, they don't get to go in my bedroom. That's my room. Dirty or not, it don't matter. Don't be walking. When you come in my house, don't be walking around. If I don't, if I don't uh, tell you I'm going to walk you around, don't walk around. I mean, I'm going to say it. I, don't, I wouldn't say it like that, but I'm just telling you because I can say it like that. Over here. I'm just saying. But that's true. I, you don't, I'm not going to go to your house and just begin to open every door in your house. I'm not. I'm not going to do that. And that's how we treat God and our relationship with God is that the God of the universe, hey, God, you can come into the living room, but when it comes to this part of me, you don't get access to that. So on Sundays, God, you can do whatever you're going to do through the preacher on the stage, through the people outside, through children's ministry, through whatever. You can do what you're going to do. But when Monday comes around and I get to work, you stay at the church house. When Tuesday comes around, God, you stay, you know, when I prayed on my knees that morning prayer. Like I, I said it, but I didn't really mean that. I want you to rest, rule and abide all through my life every day on my job. And so we give God a back seat to our lives. I do it. We do it. Babylon begin, begins to grow and grow. And we will have to account for that. And God's saying, I want to tear that down. This is what happens. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality, they became one with the stuff and lived in the luxury with her. Like it was good while it lasted. Will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. When uh, I didn't tell the other services this, this just came to me right now. Uh, I I played video games. I didn't really like video games growing up a lot, but I, I mean, I just the joy. You just get feel numb when you play video games, right? And so my wife, she bought uh, this would have been probably year I don't know ten. She bought me like this PlayStation, like Call of Duty edition. This might have been year nine. This was a while ago. She bought it, and I remember staying up all day and night playing it. And I still had it a few years ago when I had the Spider-Man game. And I was playing it to the point where I beat it. And in this game, you know, you get characters and stuff, different types of Spider-Man. I know for some of you, you don't care about this, but you got to listen to my story. <laughs> you get different types of Spider-Mans and stuff, like every one of them. And my son, Joseph, asked to play the game. I don't, I don't even know if he remembers. He had to be like four or five. So he was kind of reading, but wasn't really reading. He was clicking buttons. And I went to go play the game. He had deleted everything that I did. Oh, no. <laughs> That's a gamer right there. <laughs> you, you, felt, you felt him mourning. You felt the wailing over. <laughs> and I, I went. I was like, there's no way. All these hours, these countless hours I've committed to getting all these pretend characters <laughs> in this console, he's deleted them all. Right. And I and and I think that that knocked me off the high horse. And I, and I know it's just a game. But in that moment, I got angry at my son because he deleted all that stuff. My five year old son, because I, I literally been hours doing it. But how, how caught up do we get in stuff like that? Like God is he's taking away. He revealed to me that I'm 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 this guy mourning over the loss of a video game, getting mad at my five year old son who can't read and stuff. We do that in our lives, and I know for us it's different. Everyone is different. I'm not saying it's you and your kids could be you and your jobs, but you lose a job. You allow that to take rule so much so that it begins to influence how you treat your kids or treat your spouse or whatever it may be. You find yourself numbing the pain through different things. God is saying, I don't want you wailing and crying over stuff because that's finite. He said, I'm infinite, and when you plug into me, when you plug into God, when you attach yourself to him, when you allow yourself to be connected to him, you no longer have to worry about ever losing everything because you have everything in him. Verse 10, they will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour, there it goes again, your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her. They're crying. Like babies, like me, over the stuff. We have to change. 
we have to stop allowing ourselves to connect to this stuff. He says, since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold and silver and jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of art, all kinds of articles of costly woods, bronze, iron, and marble. You see what the, the thing about it, I don't know if you, for those of you who know the Austin market, my wife and I have been trying to get a house, everything's gone up, right? The cost of just supplies to even us building the church is going to cost more just because of the supplies and the demand for them. None of that will even be here. It's gone. Ain't, ain't, ain't no limited resources. There's no resources. No one's buying anything. And they're crying over it because their attachment, their connection wasn't to God, but it was to the stuff. And so they missed the mark. They missed what God is trying to reveal to them. And instead of mourning their lost spiritual souls, the lostness of their lives, they're mourning the stuff. The games and the cars and the homes and the money and whatever the other things are, the TV shows, we no longer have that. They're, they're mourning that. It says cinnamon spice, everything nice. <laughs> Incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves. Human trafficking is what it's talking about. That is human souls. They're mourning everything. The loss of everything, the fruit of which your soul longs has gone from you. And all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment. They don't want to be a part of it, but they're crying because they lost it. What they don't realize is if you don't remove yourself from it, then you're going down with the ship and you'll experience that same torment because they're worried about the stuff still. They're focused on the stuff still, and God is saying, no, pick me. Pick me. Weeping and mourning aloud, alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls, for in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste, and all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off. And cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned. The reason you throw dust, and if you, again, if you've been a part of this church for a couple of years, went through the series of Esther, you talk about mourning and putting the, the dust on your head. It's a representation of mourning. Usually when you mourn, you mourn the dead, the lost. And here they are mourning, not someone dying. They're mourning the cars. They're mourning the sugars. They're mourning the alcohol. Stuff. They've held so tight to it, they've become one with it. Literally become one with the stuff to where they're crying. They can't go on because their attachment was to the stuff. Crying out, alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Non-believers will lament the fall of Babylon. As the pandemic has shown me personally anything is that God has the ability to shut the world down. Rich, poor, it didn't matter. He shut it down. He has the ability to do that. And instead of crying over the spilled milk, so to speak, we're called for a higher purpose. And you're asking yourself again, okay, what's the principle here? Well, we have a mission. Our mission is to not be attached to this world, but to be attached to God. And if our attachment is to God, then there's some things about our lives that should reflect that. Because I can't spend time with God without expecting to do the things that God has called me do, to do. And not just holding fast to the stuff of this world, but going out, telling people about God and who he is. Because I don't want anyone to experience this. I don't want anyone to, to, to live a life where they're holding on to the stuff so much so that they're crying over losing it. When knowing that we have a God in heaven, a God that gives life, a God that is life, that operates outside of the stuff that was created. Knowing that I want you to have access to the same God, that same peace, that same love. I want you to be able to get cut off and be like, God loves you. 
and mean it. Not just do it. I want you to be able to be cussed out by somebody and say, you know, I don't know what you're going through, but I'm going to pray for you. And not respond in in anger, but with the love of God. But the only way you can respond or the only way you can create habits like that is by spending time with the one that is God in the word, in your Bible. Last few verses. Rejoice. Everyone say rejoice. rejoice. So at the beginning, if you was listening, this is, a, this is that celebration piece. Rejoice over her, talking about Babylon, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Remember, revenge is the Lord's. If you go back and listen to, we've seen the saints, they've been killed at the hands of the sinners and the evil ones and the enemy, like they're coming for us. And God said, he's always said, I got you. He got him. It says, then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. One of the things that I've learned, my wife and I just celebrated 16 years of marriage, right, this month. And one of the things over 16 years, and it didn't take long for me to learn this, but one of the things that I've learned, and this is just free advice for those who don't know this, is that you don't speak in absolutes when it comes to marriage, right? You never say never. You don't never do that, right? You don't never whatever the thing may be. And you don't use words like always. Well, I always take out the trash, Sierra. You don't do that. <laughs> right? Why don't we do that? Because you don't want to speak in absolutes because you never know you ne- what you never know, right? And so here, here he is speaking in the absolute of saying it will be found no more, the city of Babylon will be found no more. And again, we're not talking about a physical place. We're talking about the commodities and all the things that were just listed. So you're telling me we're not going to have sugars and spices and wines and all these things? Nope. All that will be gone. It will be found no more. The world will understand that it ain't money that makes it go, that makes it go around. It's God. It ain't people that make it go around. It's God. And so if you want to keep holding on to the stuff thinking that's what provides for you, if you want to keep spending time and skipping out on God and your relationship with him, thinking that you can make it on your own, that you're the best coach for you, then you can do that. But just know that that thing you're holding on to is an anchor that is pulling you down, and it will be no more. And the sound of the harpists and musicians, the flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more, no more music. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. So why is this important? Why was this being said? It symbolizes prosperity. Remember this great city of Babylon. If you was to walk in the city and you, you hear this mill going round and round, that means work is being done. You hear the musicians and people singing and playing through the city. That jovial, jovialness, that, that love and the happiness is going on. That means everything is good. Everything is right in the city. We're doing our thing. We're providing for us. That's not going to happen anymore. The city is desolate. It's, just, it's, it's destroyed. And God is saying, stop holding on to this. Stop allowing yourself to connect to something that is finite. He says, you need me. And the light of the lamp will shine in you no more, and the voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones. Uh, were the great ones of the earth. They were, past tense, the great ones of this earth. And all nations were deceived by your sorcery. Fun fact that this word sorcery used here is the same word we use for like pharmacy, pharmacist. So the idea that we were uh, drugged some, or, or we were under the influence of what it talked about earlier, intoxicated, this addiction, like they won't have that hold anymore on the earth. Because what happens is, and it's easy, I know my, my son, we try to limit screen time, game time, different things because his brain becomes mush. I mean, I know my brain became mush. I forget to pee. I don't pee on myself, though. I don't, I, it, it just doesn't, I don't have that feeling. I don't, I don't get hungry, right? So in the hour or two, he, he can be playing, he, he likes Beat Saber, and he's just sweating and all this kind of stuff playing. You call his name, he doesn't hear you. You can be right next to him, he doesn't hear you. He doesn't hear nothing. 
And the crazy thing is that we have devices these days that do the same thing to us, that we become tied to every notification, every text message, whatever, every game, whatever it may be, that we're always looking at our phones. And God is saying, I'm removing the distractions so that you can uh, focus on me. He has to remove some things. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. God will take revenge. And so my question for you on this morning is, are you ready to separate? Are you ready to separate? There are some things that we are that we're holding on to that God is calling us to separate from. There are some things that we've allowed to take rule. We've allowed them to rest in our lives. And God is saying, I don't want you to have those things anymore. I want you to let them go. Because Babylon has to be destroyed before Jesus comes into the scene. He's coming back. And so, like I said before, he doesn't want just to hang out in the living room of your life. He doesn't want to be a guest. He wants us to understand the house that we live in, the cars that we drive, it's all here. And we're stewards of it. And we need to trust him with it. We need to give him access to everything that is in us because he can't change what we're not allowing him to change. He can't, he can't change and remove the things we want to hold on to that we're not willing to let go. He can't change those things. And so are you ready to separate? And I get it. Like I've said before, yes, this is speaking of future things to come. Practically, yes, that's what's happening. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you won't experience this. But principle, what does that mean for me today? That there's some work to be done. There's some idols in my life that I need to knock down so God can begin to use me and move me and control me and, and steer me in the right direction. There's some people I probably need to begin to tell about the goodness of who God is. So are you ready to separate? And, and maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're like, what is he even talking about? I mean, I hear this revelation. Who preaches that on a Sunday anyway? I don't get it. And you want to know more about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And you want to say, well, I want to make sure I'm on the right end of this. Real quick, we'll have, not real quick, but pretty soon we'll have people standing up here that can talk to you and tell you more about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Because he wants all of you. He wants all of us. He wants everything that is in us. And he wants us to trust him. He wants us to seek after him. And so right now, if you wouldn't mind uh, bowing your heads, closing your eyes, and taking a few seconds before we take communion to think about what is the idol in my life that I'm allowing myself to hold fast to? What is that one room or two rooms? Uh, am I even letting Jesus in my heart, in the house, period? What is... What am I not giving God access to that needs to be removed? What is that thing? So take a few seconds if you on your own and just pray to God and ask him to remove those things. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. There are communion cups in front of you uh, in the seats, like little cup holders down there. Give you a couple seconds if you need to open that while you're listening. But on that night he was betrayed. He took the bread, he held it up to his disciples and said, this is my body which has been broken for you. He said, take, eat all of it. And then he took the wine. The wine represents the new covenant. God's blood. That's what we all need. He took it and said, this is, this is a representation of me. The blood has been shed for you. Drink. And they did. Father God, we thank you.
God, we thank you because there is none like you. God, we thank you because there's none beside you. You are God and God all by yourself. God, you don't need me to help you at all. You don't need me to try to take control, God, because you got it. So, God, I pray right now the confessions that have been, have been made, God, that if Jesus Christ is interceding on our behalf, God, that you would teach and guide us, God, that, is, is that someone is making a decision in their heart to walk closer and draw closer to you, God. So, God, we love you, God, we thank you, and God, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's something about truly putting your trust in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I'm telling you now that I've enjoyed the crazy thing. You read through Revelation, you realize we win. I'm on the right team. I get to choose God. And what that means is that I don't have to be in control. I don't have to try to walk up and down the sideline coaching my son. Like it, the, My life, God has it in his hands. Amen. If I have the ability, if I can take the chance to give God every single part of me, God says, I got you. He said, your marriage feels like it's going through the ropes. He said, I got you. He said, your job that you lost or you're not making enough money, you got to provide for your kids. He said, I got you. He said, I don't want some of you. I want all of you. He said, I want parts of you. I want the whole thing. And when you give me everything you got, you get to see me work. God don't need your help. He don't want your help. He is God all by himself. Let him do God. And you watch and you bask in the splendor of who he is. You watch and you get to enjoy what God is doing in your life. You get to step back and say, it wasn't me. It was God. So I want you to go and know that God is always with you. He's always moving. And that while the world will try to tease you and have you to believe that it has the way, Jesus Christ is the only way. He is the truth. He is life. So I want you to go have, a, have an awesome week of worship. You are safe.